0: Hello, welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino. I am a psychotherapist in Chicago, founder of the practice called Head Heart Therapy. And I don't know, I do all kinds of other fun stuff. I sing in a band sometimes. What else do I do? I work a lot. That's one of the things we'll be talking about shortly, upcoming. Don't worry. Anyway, I am super duper duper excited. I'm always excited, you guys. i fucking love podcasting. So I'm very excited about this episode. This is the first time I interviewed someone from my hometown. Uh, so if you are from Fairfield, Ohio. If you're from Ohio in general, you may relate to some of the things that we talk about in this episode, but especially if you're from Fairfield, Ohio, I would really love to hear from you. I can't speak for David, but I would love to hear What you think about what David and I share about our experience growing up in a conservative town in Southern Ohio. And this episode was just so sweet for me. You know, and David mentions it in the beginning there's just something really comforting about knowing somebody grew up in the same place as you. And this episode just really. I don't know, it helped me shift my relationship to my younger self and really take a look at all that I went through with with a bit more compassion. So thanks to David for doing this. Also, trigger warning for anyone named Chad. If your name is Chad and you're listening to this episode, no Chads were harmed in the making of this podcast. I just want to say that. And I hope for all future Chads who listen to this, there will be no harm caused. I'm not going to say any more about that right now. You'll find out as we go along. So please enjoy my interview with David Clinton, who is the founder of Artisan Clinical Associates, a small outpatient therapy practice in Naperville, Illinois. He's a native of Cincinnati, (coughs) Fairfield. Uh, David studied psychology and religion in Indiana University before earning his master's in clinical psychology from Wheaton College. He has counseled in private practice since 2002. He's also a guitarist, an amateur photographer, and an avid reader. David is married to a lovely, wonderful woman named Liz and the father of two children, who fills his days with laughter, excitement, and a significant amount of property damage. (laughs) Did I mention David's hilarious? You're gonna really enjoy this interview. David, Chad, David Chad, David Clinton, hi. (laughs)
1: Hi, Sarah. Thank you for having me on.
0: You know I had to start with this. So, just for listeners, we went to the same high school and David yes. went by a different name and so the, I've ran into a bunch of people who've done this, who've who've gone with a different name later in life and it's uh-huh. just it's very jarring for those of us who have memories of you as this other person, but um. But your name is David. And is that, that's your actual first name anyway, right? That's my
1: actual first name. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Growing up, it's my dad's first name as well. And mm-hmm. so I went by my middle name mm-hmm. up until I started working professionally, actually. So really? uh, all through college and grad school. But when I started my internship, I decided I was going to take
0: mm-hmm. my first name. Because nobody wants to go to a therapist named Chad.
1: I have not regretted it since. But yes, it is a little <laughs> disorienting. And technically... <laughs> you were different. You had a different name, too. Was a, yes. Uh, uh, who wants to go to see it? I'm, right. Nothing against chad therapist but it is a little <laughs> douchebag <laughs> it's just a little it's a,
0: i mean it's definitely a bro. It's yeah, it's my, a bro yeah it's a bro name so i don't know any chad therapists i wonder if all chads change their name when they become therapists
1: you know what let's do I, a it,
0: research study on it
1: they should They should. <laughs> it's just it's not it doesn't Whereas david is a strong yes it's a stronger name it's it seems King, substantive. right it's like sort of biblical kingly yeah
0: yeah right
1: Uh, yes
0: (laughs) so yeah Yeah. so we did you grow up in fairfield your whole life
1: it did okay so we
0: are both like true fairfieldians
1: yes we are
0: and you graduated what year
1: i graduated 94 i think i'm a few years Okay, so you're three years
0: ahead of me i couldn't remember if it was three or four Mm -hmm. but you were in Corollers too right
1: No, I was not. I was not a quarrelier. Oh,
0: okay. Nope. Okay, that's the show choir, you guys, so... David was not part of the show choir, but Liz was. Liz is your beautiful, lovely, amazing, wonderful wife. This
1: was very involved with music and theater Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. in
1: high school as well. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I am curious because you are the first and probably the only... No, I I actually am interviewing another Fairfieldian next week for the podcast, but...
1: You're kidding me. No. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. She's not a therapist, but she's doing this amazing skincare line that's all about self-care and healing. And I'm like, girl, you need to be on Anyway, so and she like lives in San Diego or something now. So, but I am really curious your reflections of just kind of the culture of our upbringing from your perspective.
1: Yeah. Well, I will say off the top that I, it is so comforting. There's something I love about talking to someone that's from the same town, right? went to the same high school mm-hmm. up in Chicagoland, like that never happens. And I, know. I love that I could reference Forest Fair Mall. I could make a joke <laughs> and you you yep. would know it. You right? know the sounds and the smells mm-hmm. and the, the the culture of my childhood and that there's a kinship there. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, being planted in Chicago. So the culture of Fairfield sort of growing up, I will say I never felt like I really fit there in Southern Ohio on the border of Kentucky. Mm -hmm. I would say overall, it was pretty conservative, pretty traditional. Fairfield's kind of a blend of blue collar, white collar class, a lot of really nice people, friendly people. But as a boy growing up, I was always kind of on the sensitive side and like I was not competitive. I could have Mm -hmm. cared less about sports or cars or any number of things. And that was a lot of guy culture there. And so I don't know that I ever really felt like I fit. And for the longest time, I assumed that's because there was something wrong with me or I was Mm -hmm. doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so by the time I graduated high school, I had a strong sense. I got to get out of here as fast (laughs) as I can. And never really lived there again Yeah That's my sense of it
0: I'm glad to hear that. So, just so listeners know, we didn't know each other really. Just kind of, you know, peripherally, I knew Liz and uh, and whatever. But
1: I, just, I think you were in the same class as my sister too. My sister, Amy, oh, Amy
0: you're yes. right. Yeah, I, I didn't think even think about that. Years. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. So yeah, so I knew Amy. Amy and I were in a lot of classes together. But what I see of you on Facebook, you are so authentic. You seem to really like know who you are and have landed in in yourself in a really beautiful way. And so it's comforting to me to hear that you also didn't feel like you fit in because I had that struggle but I tried so hard to like make it work and I had this yeah. you know this story that I was going to be the music teacher for Fairfield High School someday you know and that was yes. what I I thought I was supposed to do but you seem to me like a person who had it together earlier than I did like that's my story that I'm making up about you and so it makes me feel good that you also were like what the fuck is this place <laughs> In oh, some ways, no.
1: as I was growing up, I think it was much more "What the fuck is wrong with me?" Right, and right. then in teen years, I there was a little more of "I yeah, this, yeah, I got to get out of here, place, mm-hmm. But yeah, oh, I also tried really, really hard when I was in high school, and I, I was so depressed, was yeah. not able to really put that to words, not really able to talk right. much about my inner experience. I didn't have the language or. I think I had this sense that if I even if I did have the language that I wouldn't be understood and yes. I I don't know that I was giving people enough credit honestly but so I just tried to do what everyone does I think in that age which is try to define myself by external roles how mm-hmm. you're dressing the mm-hmm. you know the affiliations you try to build a self out of that and Of course, it it doesn't work. But yeah, no, Mm -hmm. I I was struggling and I don't know that anybody really would have known how much I was at the time. But Mm. but yeah, as an adult, do I have based on Facebook? Do I have it figured out? I it's (laughs) funny. I think I've embraced that. I never will have it figured out.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I've embraced like I'm constantly in flux and kind of always learning. And and I think there is a comfort with embracing the idea that i kind of have spiritual narcolepsy mm-hmm. where it's like i'll be
0: spiritual narcolepsy <laughs> tell me more right. about that
1: well I'll, I'll tell you more about the thing that i just made up the sense of i feel like i'm constantly struggling to be kind of present conscious, centered, and mm-hmm. I'll do it for a little bit. And then I very quickly drift uh, kind mm-hmm. of into some level of unconsciousness where I mm-hmm. old scripts get kicked up and then kind of find my way back and relearn the same lessons. And I, I, mean, I think mm-hmm. a huge part of why I ended up in the profession that I did is has to do with, well, I think when you start out in the profession, you have the reasons you think you're getting into it. Yeah, know, which I want to make a difference. I right. wanna help people. I had a conservative Christian phase early on and oh, God's calling me to to do this work. And mm-hmm. but if you're paying attention all, no, you you get into the field for a few years and you realize, Oh, wait, no, <laughs> no. There's all these deeper reasons. Yeah. This has yeah, and it has a lot more to do with My own wounding and Mm -hmm. me trying to figure myself out makes sense of who am I? What am I doing?
0: Yeah.
1: It's that work. So the reasons that you go into the work initially, you get to a point where you can't stay in the field for the same reasons that got you into it. You have to pivot. Yeah. I like to find new reasons. Even if you're doing the Mm -hmm. same thing, it has to be for different reasons.
0: Right. It keeps shifting for sure. For sure. So, First of all, that's beautiful. Like, in my mind, you were very popular. And I don't know if that's really true or not. But in my mind, at school, you were very popular. You're a good-looking man. You're tall. All the ladies loved you. Even though you're with Liz, you're popular. And, you know, there's a certain... I guess stereotype that goes with that you know like oh this person's they've got it all and so they're going to be happy-go-lucky and so it's it's really kind of beautiful and sweet to hear you talk about your experience of depression and how nobody was really aware of that and it's looking back yeah you did a good job of pretending I did not do such a good job and everyone just thought I was crazy <laughs> and I was so. uh-huh. I have a lot of shame about who I was at that time in my life. Yeah, because like, just like you said, like there are things that were fucked up and it's like this balance of trying to put your finger on what's going on. And for me, it was a lot of like not really truly being seen and heard at home and not having anybody to validate the fact that I was I was chronically suicidal and I just realized that actually like going back through old journals and stuff chronically suicidal and the way that that manifested was I externalized so much rather than internalize it and so it just became this like these behaviors that were very off-putting to a lot of people and so I try to really practice compassion for that myself at that age because that was rough
1: yeah. It sounds like a difference between us is you, you went outward. I went inward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With, with our direction. But Do you, are you in a place now where you can feel affection for that version of yourself? Or do you cringe when you read these journal entries or see photos of yourself from that point?
0: You know, I think truly it's all relational. When I think about the stories that people must remember about me that's when the shame shows up and okay. the stories I remember about you know the tagline of my childhood was I thought you were a bitch until I got to know you okay literally I heard that time and time and time and time again so clearly I was putting something out that was not very pretty
1: that needs to be the title of a chapter in your memoir
0: <laughs> oh my god you're so <laughs> right or maybe that's the title of my book who knows maybe that just-
1: the title. That's yeah.
0: yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm at a new stage of working through my grief and anger at my mother, and I think there's this this intertwined difficulty of where I wasn't myself because I was trying so hard to be the person that my mother expected me to be, but I couldn't do it. And so it's hard to know like where really was Sarah in that? And I think if I once I work through this layer of anger with my mother, I might be able to be more compassionate about my younger self. I don't know. It's it's a TBD right now. Yeah. Okay. But good question.
1: Well, I I think there is something uh, about that 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 window that junior high, high school. (laughs) There's Mm -hmm. something. It's it's us at our. Most vulnerable Mm -hmm. in the emotion where the emotions are intense, but we haven't developed sophisticated defense Mm -hmm. mechanisms yet, and it's a very raw, vulnerable. Basically, we don't have our shit together yet, Mm -hmm. and. As an adult where you do have a more sophisticated understanding, it's easy to look back at that, like that boy kind of right. just awkward trying way too hard, mm-hmm. like doing it wrong, feeling like I I did so much. I just feel like, oh, I didn't get the memo on. Mm. These rules, and when I was in my early 20s, I would just cr- I couldn't even look at pictures of myself mm. from that phase because it was just I so wanted to disown that boy. I just wanted to shove him in the basement and lock the door and like yeah. nope, nope, yeah. you don't get to see the light of day. And but I I pivoted from that through my own therapy and very much was able to get to a point where it's like, oh wait. -hmm. Actually, you're my best part. Not only are you the the worst embarrassment, but you're the key. But you're my vulnerability. Yeah, you know, you are a raw expression of a vulnerability, and that is the key to me connecting with people. And the fact that you did feel like an outsider and like you were doing it wrong and it didn't Mm -hmm. fit, for me. That is a point of empathy now. Absolutely, that boy is the key to my work in connecting with people. If I had never felt misunderstood, or especially when I was young, uh, yeah, just this this awkward. How am I going to connect with someone who's going through that themselves? You know, in so Mm -hmm. many ways, and so I feel deep affection for. Sort of what is chubby, awkward, gap-toothed mm. uh, kid who's just sort of doing it wrong mm. at this point, and maybe I don't know if there will be some version of that for you. That even yeah. even if she was maybe kind of intense to hang out with, or you know, for, for <laughs> oh, others, that's such a, a that's a great reframe. Thing. Great reframe. The word. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, in some ways, I mean, we don't know each other well, but right. I mean, from what I do know of you. That you have a fire in you. There is an mm-hmm. intensity, and I mean, your the color of your hair is constantly mm-hmm. it flux And hair is deeply emotional for mm-hmm. for for everyone, I think. And that's so integral, like the, yeah. that that of part of you. She's a key. You know, yeah. you've maybe updated your interpersonal skills maybe a bit from <laughs> you know, when you were 14. Thank goodness that <laughs> we all do. Right? But she's part of the team. She belongs.
0: Well, thank you. That's really lovely. One of the things I love about doing this podcast is when I listen back to be able to write the show notes, Mm -hmm. hearing these things again and being able to like really take them in. Right. So thank you. I'm going to appreciate that later too. So, I'd love to hear the journey of when did you decide to become a therapist. What did that look like? You know you talked a little bit about the reasons why you went into it initially, and then I'd love to hear about that part of when you discovered, <laughs> oh shit there's <laughs> there were some other reasons I wasn't thinking about. I'd love that journey,
1: okay, yeah, I'd be happy to talk about that it, it what comes to mind initially is actually not about me, but uh, one of my very good friends as a psychiatrist who works here locally. And when I first met him, I completely misread him. I hmm. I couldn't figure him out. And I couldn't, I initially thought, is this guy kind of arrogant or hmm. aloof? Uh, I wasn't sure. And so at one point I went in, I said to him, you know, I'm really good at pattern recognition. I'm pretty good at figuring people out, but for the life of me, you make no sense to me (laughs) to to take you out for tacos and get to know you. And when we went out for tacos, I bought him dinner and we were standing in line to be seated. And I'll remember this forever with him. I was like, so why did you become a psychiatrist? And he looked at me and said, why do you think?
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Amazing,
1: and I was like, "Oh, you know, you know why yeah, you're you're okay. in you're in the club. Oh, Great, God!" <laughs> and I immediately trusted him. Yeah, it wasn't for prestige or any of that stuff. It was mm-hmm. just, yeah, because of his own his own pain. And mm-hmm. for me, uh, yeah high school, I was very depressed. And I think maybe I, I did hide it well in some ways, but I think it was very much a, a mask. A traces of the real me in it, but it really, there was a lot that was a mask. And I think even with some of the popularity I did experience, in a lot of ways, it was worse. Yeah. I mean, the depression works. It's like, oh, shit, you're buying this. You think right. this is a real thing? Oh, God. <laughs> I yeah. remember by my senior year, I was ended up being prom king. So Yes, oh, yes. 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 Was
0: popular. That's right. Mm-hmm. And
1: I remember standing up there as it was happening feeling straight up suicidal. I just it was mm. intolerable to me. And I'm putting this mask on and wow. it just felt like such a fraud. But who's going to pity that? Who's right? gonna who feels sorry for for that guy? And I think that's part of it. You know, I was not visibly a train wreck, but emotionally mm. just very stormy. And I think one of the ways I coped with that towards the end of high school was really getting into more of a conservative religious faith. I think I was looking for guidance, mm-hmm. someone to tell me who I was, and mm-hmm. more of a conservative religious faith provided that, uh, some, some guidance at that point in my life. And so when I went off to college at Indiana, I had an interest in psychology and religion, so I studied both. Mm-hmm. And after I graduated, I wanted to continue to study. So actually, I went to seminary after I graduated. Really?
0: Uh, Yep, wow. for a couple
1: years, and wanted to learn theology from theologians,
0: mm-hmm. and so yeah,
1: I learned some ancient Greek and all that. But through right. that, really realized I, I didn't want to be a pastor. Uh, that was one of the options I was considering. And uh,
0: that would have so been the trajectory of Chad. You know what I mean? You
1: no, know, that was a Chad
0: path. Yes. And, but
1: I got there, and it was still like the depression was still going. But sitting in seminary, realizing, yeah. oh. I am not obsessive in the right ways. And there's this ego piece that you kind of need. And Hmm. where you have to need, I think at some level, and people would probably disagree with some people disagree with me but I don't have the thing that you need which is I need I did not my ego didn't need to be a big fucking deal mm-hmm. and gurus make me nervous I get yeah. really nervous around people who are really certain and have lots of answers yeah. I don't yeah I don't trust it and I can't step into that very well myself so like positioning myself as some sort of expert or guru that mm-hmm. you know let I'm, me you know, connect you to let God let me tell you what happens when we die. Right, I know, right. you know, 23 year old, I have it all figured out. <laughs> uh, 23 white male That's answers.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Perfect. Would have ended yes. beautifully.
1: Just, yes, that trajectory. But so I got there and I figured out it's like, I, th- these are not my people. Good people, very mm-hmm. sincere in many ways. But this is not what I'm meant to do. And so at that point, I realized what I really do, though, I really like having deep conversations with people mm-hmm. in honest, messy conversations. I think that that is something, even though I don't know that I have answers, but I, I really value that. And there was this sense of, well, I'm going to die someday. I do know that. And mm-hmm. when I am dying, when I look back on my life, what would make it a meaningful life? What would mm. I look back and say, well, I that wasn't a waste of time. And for me, it was I want to look back and having tried to help people mm-hmm. even that I was always successful. But it's like if I spent the bulk of my day trying to help people find their way or feel less alone in the universe that seems like a really meaningful way to spend my life. And Mm -hmm. there were points early on in my life where I figured that out. I had a friend in high school who um, had a stormy childhood, and he actually ended up getting one of our classmates pregnant and Mm -hmm. messy family life. And when the baby was due, he called me. It was like very early in the morning, and I went to the hospital. His family wasn't there with him, but I was the only one there for him. At you know, sixteen, seventeen, as a baby was being born, and he was an anxious mess, and I, I felt like I'm glad I'm here. Like this, mm-hmm, the intensity mm-hmm, of yeah. this. I, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm mm-hmm. glad I'm here with him in this. And there's a number of moments of that through college as well. And it feels like sacred ground. It makes, I mm-hmm, honestly, I think mm-hmm. the self pieces, I feel less alone in the universe when I'm having. Right.
0: Yes, It
1: meets a need for me, honestly. Yes. It helps me so much. And not that I feel like I'm using people. I, right. That feels gross to me. Uh, that does not sit well but there is a sense of two people meeting in kind of a sacred space and
0: hmm. that's awesome i totally agree there's a line where it's this like mutual mutual healing right parallel process and then there's the space where like okay you're too fucked up and you're really just using people and then there's the other side of the spectrum where you think you have the power and all the answers and to get that sweet spot in the middle, that's the hope. I, I think that's what makes extraordinary therapists rather yeah. than ordinary therapists is people who are willing to embrace that rather than try to run from it.
1: I agree 100 percent, 100 percent. I mean, how many times? I've been in practice 16 years now. Mm. How many times there has been where a client will be saying something and I think I needed to hear that today? Right? <laughs> I, oh
0: my God! Right? All
1: the time. It's like, oh, you're. And all the, there'll be times where I'm like, oh, you're. You're actually ahead of me in this area. Right. Truly, I don't really have many heroes. My clients are my heroes, though. My clients yeah. and Fred Rogers, <laughs> Mr. Rogers, and yeah, my clients. that's about it, honestly.
0: What's your enneagram?
1: For a long time, I thought I was a two. I actually am a four.
0: I, I was going to say that. I was totally like, you're up. either a four or a nine.
1: I do have my nine moments, but actually I'm I'm a four. And when four is under stress, it takes on the traits of two. And so yeah. I, I I was mistaking. Yeah. Actually, I was just an unhealthy four. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very, very intense, uh, w- way more intense than I think my external demeanor relays. But anybody mm-hmm. that is close to me, if you were to ask my business partner, close friends, family, every one of them would say, oh, yeah, he's complicated and not the easiest oh. person to be really close to.
0: Ah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm a three, which totally makes oh. sense. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> you are chronically suicidal. <laughs> in, in yeah. a, you can be depressed. You totally have a four wing.
0: I thought I had a two wing. I mean, it's like you have you have both, right? I really want to like do some like deeper enneagram work. I'm super into it.
1: Oh, enneagram is wonderful. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not huge personality inventory person. I mean, I think they have their right. place. I don't geek out on them, with the exception of the enneagram. It is the deepest. It will make you cringe, but I mm-hmm. I recommend it to any couples that I work. With. I recommend it all the time. Are at the mm-hmm. practice here are shorthand is enneagram
0: yes
1: uh, yes we hired someone last year who is wonderful but our, our debate was we were pretty sure she was a three <laughs> a three's energy here do we uh, three. <laughs>
0: can you Two. handle that
1: but yes it is wonderful so you're a three i would have guessed four with a three wing yeah yeah that would have been my guess but or a three with a four wing.
0: yeah well people usually guess seven
1: Hmm. I. You know. I could see that as yeah. well. I don't. I guess I don't know you well enough. But, you know, I know mm-hmm. you primarily from social media right. and the brief interactions <laughs> we've had. The, the seven. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I could see that too. You definitely have the energy. Mm-hmm. And four is a lower energy number. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. So yeah, folks, I've talked about the Enneagram so much on this. If you haven't looked into it yet, just do it. It, And what I was recommended is not to take the test because then what can happen is what David was just explaining is that, oh, I thought I was this, but I'm actually that. But actually reading through the types and through the the healthy versus the unhealthy way that it's expressed. And then also the subtypes because I'm the, so three is the achiever and the one who wants to like be, in front of people, and the I guess shadow side is vanity. But I'm a counter subtype, and I can't remember which one it is. But I'm a counter subtype that wants to do everything I can to not be perceived as vain.
1: Yes, that your your ego is attached yeah. to be perceived as not as not vain, right? Yes, exactly. Yes, yes <laughs> exactly. That is your vanity. Right. <laughs> you go out of your way to yeah, yeah. project that.
0: Yes. Yeah. So, are you a wing five?
1: I think I'm a five-wing. Yeah, I think I'm a five-wing. And of the subtypes, it would be the self-preservation four, which is the character type.
0: Yes, I think that's the subtype. I can't remember. I need to have the book in front of me at all times.
1: Yes, highly recommend reading up on it, though. I like, as an intro book, The Wisdom of the Enneagram. I don't know Mm. if you have... That's one of my most dog-eared and underlined books.
0: I have the complete Enneagram because I go all the way.
1: Yes, you, you you do that. That's the <laughs> that's, that's Beatrice. The yep. is that the Beatrice Chestnut one?
0: That sounds right. She is wonderful. Yeah, I,
1: I would say if you geek out on the the wisdom of the Enneagram, then look into Beatrice Chestnut. She mm-hmm. is great. You'll probably cringe mm-hmm. because it really does a good job of, of naming ways that we sort of can be manipulative at times uh, to get our needs mm-hmm. met. And mm-hmm. but it is, it is a wonderful resource though.
0: Yeah. It's kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. Let's shift into the the healer talk. Okay. I think I probably know what you're going to say in answer to this question, but do you consider yourself a healer?
1: Good question. The word healer, the first thing that comes to mind is like the Benny Hinn televangelist, like where you've got the
0: mm-hmm.
1: finger point guns and <laughs> the comb over and the white suit and the gold throne. And that would be amazing. If I, were like that.
0: <laughs> I want a fucking gold throne. Rich. Yes. I, right, I
1: want finger point guns. People falling down. Everybody's yeah, healing people that way. Right. <laughs> I can't take myself seriously as a guru or a big mm-hmm. fucking deal. And that is all of what that is. When I think of healer, I'm not like a Benny Hinn healer. I do not think I have all the answers or certainty. Mm-hmm. I would say, if anything, I'm a healer. But less like Benny Hinn, more like Wizard of Oz, Mm. which is, okay, so I have the office, I've got the title, I know the lingo, I can can sort of create the space, but secretly I'm just an ordinary guy, Mm -hmm. I'm just some dude. My role is to help people see the things that they're looking for are in them, you know, the heart, the head, mm-hmm. the the courage, and it would be more like that kind of healing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I love seeing people get better and find their way. I never get tired of it. I, yeah, right. And often my favorite work and the work that grows me the most sometimes are the stormiest people at the beginning but I, I see them work with them for years. Mm-hmm. And then they turn the corner and they start getting better and growing mm-hmm. I don't know that I'll ever get tired of that and even though it's it's very private work for the most part nobody ever knows other than right the person I'm working with and if they tell people it's very mm-hmm. private work and I love that I love seeing people grow but am I healing them Ugh no I'm not comfortable saying that no. I am a healer of souls one of my, <laughs> my, my my best friend since I was 11 years old the funniest human being I know he will periodically if I talk to him on the phone or text him be like hey buddy did you heal any souls today
0: oh <laughs> just like,
1: totally taking me down a peg and just right like, and I love it that feels like love to me is mm-hmm. just like yeah who do you think you are come on and I think actually paradoxically that makes me a better healer.
0: Yeah, agreed.
1: The paradoxes of the work that the only people that should be in this work are the people that know they have no business being in the work. And if you know that you have no business doing this work, that actually qualifies you at some level. Mm -hmm. The best therapists I know... None of them see themselves as big deals. Yeah, They're not larger in life on social media. They, a lot of them are kind of one-off individual therapists who mm-hmm. sort of see the work as sacred and they are fully themselves, not trying mm-hmm. to be larger than life, Yeah, if that makes sense.
0: It does, and now I'm feeling judged because I'm larger than life. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't really feel judged. One of my conundrums as a three in this profession is Like, I know that my divine purpose is to be on stage helping Mm -hmm. to wake people up. That's yes. my that is my divine purpose, and mm-hmm. so in order to do that, I do have to develop a platform and position myself as an expert and blah blah blah. And I struggled so hard with that because it's you know not being seen as vain and yes. and to this profession, it's you know like you just said, and I and I truly did not take it personally at all. But there is kind of this understated thing of like, don't think that you're too big for your britches. Now well, we're gonna knock you down because that's just not how we do this here.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think that's the paradox too. Right. There is a humility.
0: Yes. But it needs to
1: be paired with a self confidence, Mm
0: -hmm, like a deep mm -hmm. self
1: confidence as well, and an owning of your worth.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Owning that while I don't have all the answers, I have something to express that could be of value to the right people. There are people out there that will benefit from this. Mm -hmm. And owning that in a way. And I think enjoying. I'm like totally contradicting myself because it is <laughs> it is both, and I've it's something right, I'm I, right. you know, I'm a business owner as well, and so right. I've had to really work through my own ambivalence of putting myself mm-hmm, out there and mm-hmm. ser- creating a brand and right. if people don't know that you exist, you're not going to be able to to help them right. and be able to own that in a way that is. You're putting yourself out there. You may be loud and verbally processing <laughs> in some ways, but actually, I don't see you positioning yourself as a guru or yeah. that you feel like you have all the answers. No. And it's more, I experience you as leading from a place of love and enthusiasm. Yeah. yeah and thanks. feeling like I love connecting with people and yes. I love the self work and I love having my mind blown by these new things that I didn't know existed and turning these ideas around and connecting with people. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't experience that as arrogant or off-putting at all. Actually, mm-hmm. because I, I know in myself, I'm not drawn to people I just, for it
0: right. like that. Right.
1: But I love seeing people love things.
0: Yes, yes, same.
1: Even if it's something I could care less about. Like I don't, I could care less about golf it's if if
0: mm-hmm. sports in
1: general, if sports did not exist, my life would be no different in any way.
0: Same, same. Ugh.
1: But if I were to have a conversation with, say, a client who loves golf and mm-hmm. I would ask him or her, what do you love about golf? Tell me everything. Mm-hmm. And if I see them light up about what they love, about, I'm all over it. Yeah. i like, oh, I would have never thought about that. Okay. So you love being out, you know, the connecting with people, being out in nature. You can hear yourself think, the serenity. of Okay. Mm. That I geek out on. Yeah. I don't know that I'm going to you know, buy a set of clubs, but.
0: <laughs> Save your money.
1: So for what that's worth, I get working through the shame thing. But I, yeah. I experience you as, as one being driven by love and enthusiasm, not like the need to mm-hmm. be seen in a certain way. Yeah. I, could be wrong about that, but
0: I do think that's at the core of it I mean that's what I talked about in my therapy session yesterday is this lack of being seen in my childhood certainly translated to the way that I present myself to the world now and it's we're bypassing the wounded healer talk, but that's part of I think the transformation and the transmutation really um of Utilizing the wounds in a positive way and not coming from the wound but coming from being informed by the wound
1: Absolutely, and I think there are ways that as you heal the wound it frees up some of the Mm -hmm. the skills that you develop You know, so as a three, it's like I felt unseen, unheard. And so I I developed a way of existing in the world where I sort of demand attention. Yes. yes. Like I have that skill. I will be loud. I will have rainbow Mm -hmm. colored hair. Mm -hmm. I'm not giving you an option. You will see me. (laughs) Yeah. You will look at me and you will Mm -hmm. hear me. Uh, You have that skill set that maybe came out of that adapting to that Mm -hmm. wounded place. As you heal, that skill then becomes yours to play with. You can play mm-hmm. with it and enjoy it. I enjoy being comfortable, being in front of people, and and mm-hmm. creating a podcast and putting it out there. And it's not so much tethered to that wounded girl right.
0: place anymore. Right.
1: My humor was a huge part of how I adapted. And
0: mm-hmm. and this guy is fucking hilarious. You guys, you have no idea.
1: It's just it keeps me sane. It's how I mm-hmm. stayed sane. I am near impossible to offend, and I have an extremely mm-hmm. dark sense of humor that I love about myself. in a way, a way mm-hmm. of coping, kind of a gallows humor, I think for me. Mm-hmm. But it is a huge part of how I work with people. and just what well, one of it enhances my life in so many ways. Laughing really hard is probably my favorite thing.
0: That is the best medicine.
1: Just laughing till you hurt because I yes. think nothing like over over analyzing humor is, is a great way to be really unfunny. But <laughs> I think it is you're so in the moment. You are so mm-hmm. in the now of your life when you are laughing really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And it's this involuntary response to the present moment. And it is wonderful.
0: I love that. Have you have you heard the hilarious world of depression? That podcast?
1: Yes, yeah. I have. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, humor mixed with existential soul-searching, psychological right. soul-searching. Do you, you know Pete Holmes' work at all? If you ever listen to You Made It Weird mm-hmm. podcast or no. any of this stuff? Okay. Well, you're welcome in advance. Okay. Um, Thank you. you. Made It Weird. Yes. He is a stand-up comedian who's had a podcast for years, has done tons of therapy. He geeks out on all the same things you and I would geek out on awesome. and is extremely intelligent. Silly is all get out and weaves between sort of spiritual, like super open. We'll have on pastors, people from every woo-woo corner of the world, mm. stand-up comedians, and weaves in sort of meaning of life with sort of irreverent comedy and just mm. this wonderfully open place. He is a gift to the universe. So yes, Pete Holmes community podcast. He has a uh, a book that came out, highly recommend called Comedy Sex God. <laughs> He's great.
0: Okay. Adding to Spotify. Yep. There it Mm -hmm. is right now. Following. So we're running out of time and I didn't even ask you the wounded healer question, whether or not you identify with that nomenclature, moniker, whatever you want to call it.
1: I'm much more comfortable with wounded healer than just straight up healer. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I very much see myself and it's very much woven into the the culture of our practice here Mm -hmm. is... Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, share about the practice.
1: Oh, sure. Yeah, we're a small private practice in the suburbs of Chicago in in Naperville. we started the practice with uh, one of my best friends, a guy named Kelly Flanagan. And we have a handful of therapists working here. It's uh, outpatient. But very much the culture of our practice or the foundation comes from the place of where we we don't have all the answers. We Mm -hmm. are works in progress. We're all walking the same path. We're not above anyone. We're all trying to Mm -hmm. figure out essentially how to be a fucking person. How do you be Mm -hmm. close to people? And we're all a bit obsessive about that work. We're kind of intense and obsessive in that search ourselves, but see ourselves as fellow travelers in that, not Mm. experts But also we'll kind of own the authority to to try not to undermine that completely. Mm -hmm, But, you mm -hmm. know, we we do think a lot about it. But, yeah, that's the culture of the practice.
0: Well, we're coming to the end of the hour. And and I want to make sure that, you know, if there's anything else in particular you wanted to share with listeners or tell us a joke. I don't know. Anything you want to close with
1: to people in general? Just keep looking inward. Like be a student of yourself. Just be a Mm. lifelong student of yourself. Never assume you have it all figured out. And if you feel like you have it all figured out, Mm. be a little nervous, be skeptical. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We continue evolving. I think talking helps. I'm a huge believer in that. The practice we were talking about, reworking some of the branding stuff. And we had this several week thing. We were trying to come up with some sort of tagline. And this one I suggested, we didn't end up using it, but I still like it was life is weird. Talking helps. (laughs) Oh, I love uh,
0: that.
1: That is the sum of me. We ended up working out something else. But that's the truth of how I feel. Life is weird. Mm -hmm. And talking helps at that process. And so any ways that you can find people to connect with. Therapy is one venue for that. Mm -hmm. I think listening to podcasts like this one Mm -hmm. are, are wonderful. It's hearing conversations unfold just in that being a student of yourself. That is my love in life. And it's something that I feel so fortunate to get to do that for my job. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's never a day in 16 years that I've dreaded coming to work. Right. I dread paperwork. I'm not very. I'm I still figuring out so much about being <sighs> a business owner. Yes. Yes. Constantly behind. I have a list that is eternal, and there's always. a list of things I need to do, and then the list of how the fuck have you not done this yet? It's yes, horrifying. It it's is always there.
0: <laughs> Ugh, we can do a totally separate, yeah, thing on the business ownership.
1: It's that piece, but mm-hmm. the being student of yourself and trying to grow deeper in that understanding—that is not time wasted. You will not regret.
0: Yep. Well, this has been so awesome. I really hate going to the suburbs, but now I really want to come have dinner with you and Liz sometime. <laughs> <laughs> and I want you to meet my husband because he's so amazing and he's a therapist now. And I think we would he's just... a therapist. Yeah, he just got his MSW.
1: That's so exciting.
0: It's super exciting.
1: Will he be working with you or is
0: Fuck he... Fuck no. He's going to do his own thing. He's he... working with older adults.
1: That is exciting. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. This is the first podcast I've ever done. And so I'd be, I'd be, I'm losing my podcast virginity here. Oh, in,
0: I took it. I'm so happy.
1: <laughs> 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 hashtag high school. Hashtag. Yeah.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you took the Prom Kings <gasps> podcast virginity.
0: Oh, my God, so you guys. Tell, tell I'm going to post this on the Fairfield alumni page.
1: You do that. You <laughs> give that to teenage, hot mess, train wreck, all drama, you, your best part.
0: Right.
1: Oh, my my secret God. Hypothesis. <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much. This has been amazing. Seriously.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. Take care.
0: So Chad's out there. What do you think? I'm afraid I'm going to get some like Chad hate mail now. If I do, I might post about it because I just might. Anyway, one thing I also wanted to mention is if you are a fan of the show and would like to support the show, I do have a Patreon account at patreon slash woundedhealer, and that's wounded spelled normally healer, spelled H-E-A-L-R, just because... I'm an Aquarius and I have to be different. So, but if you search for conversations with a wounded healer on Patreon, you will find that and you can give as little as $1 a month. And believe me, it is super duper helpful because podcasting is not cheap. So thank you for listening. Thank you to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing to Liam O'Donnell for the album art and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time. Bye-bye.